forever. Dog. When your first choice is a big old bus, you turn around and boom, you end up with us. Our number is 213-536-9180. Our email is sloppysecondspod at gmail.com. Now on with the show. Intro. What if I do what if I do the intro? Are you ready? Hey, you fucks, you sloppy little fucks, you stupid little fucks, you nasty little fucks. It's me, uh, Big Dipper, and I'm here with my uh friend Meatball who's wearing a human hair wig. Yes, honey, it's all human. It moves i need to figure out how learn how to french braid so i can get the front of it i would do two like the two little pony yes like that i think that would be really cute it's eight bundles of hair which most wigs are like normally like three it looks really great and you can't stop touching it it's because it feels so nice and you know what i went i tried to figure out where the hair came from there's no telling it's not one person's you know no, it's a it's lot a of mix. different people's hair. So I feel bad, but I also feel the best I've ever looked. <laughs> this is what I think about when I think about like a hair farm, like someone growing their hair and then hopefully, fingers crossed, being paid, being paid adequately for, it. for Look, it's hair. got baby hairs I'm going to lay down. This is all. I, oh, my God. This is all I think about. You know, like when you get like a long hair sort of like stuck in your mouth and you have to be like, yeah, imagine being in a place where all they did was hair. That's like all I I watched a video on how they do it. It's it's cruel. This is the only hair I'm going to ever a human hair wig I'm ever going to own. I don't think it's a good practice to do this. Plastic wigs are fine for the environment. Oh, but for the like it's it's like lives or or the seals, you know? The turtles. So you think human lives are more important than the turtles? Turtle lives matter. What I'm going to say is... <laughs> no, that is a bad joke. Don't um, do that. Uh, You pulled a question for us to read. I pulled a question. Now listen, we have a great interview. It's really stunning and amazing with Gabe Gonzalez. Um, uh, but we wanted to answer this question real fast. Yes. Dear Dippertina and Miss Me E Ball, which I don't ever do that again. First off, thank you for providing. <laughs> yeah, me with hold on. Countless- this isn't race chaser. You don't need to follow the format of don't another podcast. The, we're just not race chaser. We're slightly uh, adjacent and involved. Also, pretty shout soon out to about them. to be. Yeah, shout out to our, shout okay. out to mom. Okay. Pretty, you're, oh, now, first off, <laughs> thanks for providing me with countless hours of entertainment and educating the children. I tried to write a good email, but I was literally writing you guys with my whole biography, and nobody cared. My question is for Dipper. How did you quit smoking weed? And do you have any other tips for someone trying to stop smoking in this political climate? Thank you. Quarter Life Crisis Christine. I love Quarter Life Crisis Christine. You gave your own name. That's funny. Um, What's funny is yesterday I was having a conversation with someone. I was like, I think I might start smoking weed again. Oh. But I don't know. I I, I smoke it all day, every day. That's what I don't want to do. Okay, so I quit because I was really depressed. I realized 
it took me a long time to realize that I was depressed and it took me a long time to realize that I couldn't stop smoking weed because I would get up every single day and smoke. I was really productive. I had a lot of friends. I had a social life, all of those things. But uh-huh. when I like actually thought, hey, I'd like to not smoke weed tomorrow, I, f- I just wasn't able to do it. So I started talking about that with other people. I said it aloud to a couple people and like a couple of the people that I said it aloud to were already sober people who were in AA and one of them said come with me to a meeting Mm. once i went to the first meeting and again i went to an aa meeting i didn't go to like they exist ma which is marijuana anonymous and then i didn't know those even existed in the harder stuff there's na which is narcotics anonymous but i went to an aa meeting and i looked around and i was like oh my god there are so many other people in this world who are sort of like battling with the idea of like how can i just exist without putting anything extra into my body and it was just sort of inspiring and it weirdly made me feel responsible even though i didn't know anyone in that room i felt like i have shown face in a room where it says we're gonna be sober so then i'm gonna leave here and go smoke a joint that's not who i am so it was sort of like it was it was kind of a fake it till you make it sort of moment for the first couple of days. Well, Anyhow. I've quit smoking weed before, and I think the and how thing, was that hour? That one hour? No, there's <laughs> been like times where I've like stopped for like literally like a half year. There was a good year and a half where I didn't smoke anything at all. But I think it was um, replacing it with productive hobbies and also getting outside was great yeah. for me. Like f- like there's something in my brain and I just just for me it's like when I smoke weed I'm not physical that's the it goes for everybody you sit down you get into a couch but it's like just being physical and telling my body like oh I'd rather I really want to smoke right now why don't I go for a walk why don't I go drive somewhere and like pick up something that I need like filling the time with something else for me is what always gets me better but I've I haven't gone to like an AA meeting for myself yeah, I I mean I also think honestly in this is in this day and age, Diva, it is Honestly, do what you got to do cuz the days are very long. Yeah, it's it's hard out here. I would continue smoking until this has sees some sort of an end. But to be honest, yeah. I don't see an end in sight. And one of the things that that's very worrying for me is that it's like uh there's no end to this. Like, I don't know yeah. when this is going to end, and I don't know when I- I'm not going to be able to, like, sustain being at home all the time. Also, can I just say real talk about that addiction thing? I just was thinking about this. I'm like, I pivoted from pot to cigarettes, and then I quit smoking cigarettes. I had oh. already been smoking cigarettes, but I started smoking a lot more. I, like, I jerned it up to, like, for the first couple months when I quit smoking weed, I was smoking, like, a pack and a half a day. Like, just every moment I had to have a lit cigarette. Then I pivoted. When I quit smoking cigarettes, I pivoted to food. And then I started eating a lot more food. And then when I pivoted from food to sex. And so now, Diva, eight years in, I'm finally in a moment when I can't go off and be a sex addict. I think you should start smoking weed again. Should <laughs> just cycle it back around. Well, I, would do you think now knowing what you were doing in the past? Can I think you, if I were to start smoking to weed stop? again right now, I would you be all be day, to. every day, bongs, mm-hmm. like the whole deal. I would get right back into it because we're at home. 
I think if I were to start smoking weed again and like my busy life where I had to like drive everywhere and do production or do whatever, I feel like I could do it like when I got home at night or just like, you know, a little bit like on the weekends or whatever. But right now when I don't have to go nowhere or do anything and I'm getting everything delivered and all I have to do is sit in my chair at the computer, girl, it would be a wrap. And that's on T. Okay, let's get into our guests. We'll talk more about uh, what we got going on in our lives next yeah. week. But we got this- big surprises coming. Blair St. Clair, again, we're still very sorry for what happened Let's to get you. Blair on the show. Oh, my God. I'm going to message her right now because she likes me, I think. Blair, if you're listening, we know you're listening. I don't think the sh- she listens. Be on the show next week, Blair. Blair. We could talk about human hair wigs, Blair. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, uh, we love you, and up next is our amazing guest, uh, Gabe Gonzalez, who I love, and who, the interview is so great. Get ready. I hope you have a thesaurus. Oh, yeah, he's smart. He's very smart. I she got words. Ah! <laughs> uh, we are so excited to have our guest with us today, uh, writer, comedian, Internet host, internet personality. It's Gabe Gonzalez. Hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you? Well, so I really good. can't. I can't. I can't do it like meatball. I had to try though. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you sounded better. All right. Okay. See, I think no that... one's gonna top me ever. Well, <laughs> that's what I said. But you know. <laughs> how are you doing? I'm good. I am, you know, I'm coping, all things considered. I'm dealing. I'm vibing. I'm living life. Um, I have not left this room in forever. The atrocities that the AOC poster behind me has seen me engage in <laughs> on my bed. I just feel terrible. I would like to hear point. about those yeah. atrocities. <laughs> Why are they atrocities and not triumphs? Yeah. Is it because it was all solo work? It's just, yeah, it's definitely solo work. And it's just, you know, it's becoming a little rote at this point. It's kind of like, okay, cry, jerk off, eat. Maybe <laughs> think about crying or jerking off next. Smoke a joint, yeah. go outside, meet a deadline, and then cry a little more. That'd be great. <laughs> that oh, sounds so you lovely. have overactive tear ducts. That's what's happening. That's precisely what it is. My eyes are constantly pre-coming. It's just... <laughs> so what? what is the vibe in Brooklyn? Because, you know... W- Meatball and I are in LA and basically we were on lockdown in March and then everyone was sort of like pretending they never heard about lockdown (laughs) and then all the numbers went up. And so now we're sort of like back to it, but also everyone's ignoring everything and no one cares about any other human life. Um, But is the vibe in New York, like are the cases really low and people are like trying to do a new normal? Is that what's happening or... I New York has been through a lot of ups and downs. Like we started off being one of the worst uh, mm-hmm. in terms of COVID cases, and I think we've had one of the most significant drops. Um, a few days ago, I think New York reported zero deaths uh, or maybe zero oh. daily reported cases sure. uh, from coronavirus for the first time. So like they're meeting records, which is great. Take what I'm about to describe uh, with a grain of salt, because well, I truly, no, we all truly... work for CNN. That's the I know, right? Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I also like truly have not left my apartment if I can help it. So I like I leave for groceries, I leave for the pharmacy, and I have attended two protests in person, and that's like as far as my gay, asthmatic, anxious body could take me. I was like, <laughs> I am fully gonna stay inside. I'm not fucking with this. I'm not fucking around, girls. 
Um, but it's been it's been like kind of wild because I think you know I'm. I live in Greenpoint right now. I'm renting an apartment from this like really adorable Puerto Rican family. But there's also like a lot of very like like white bougie families around here that are like, oh, we're fine. We're going to like walk uh, outside and take up the entire sidewalk with our five children. Right. And none of us are wearing masks and we're going to oh, pop into Lord. this pizza place. That's like the minority for sure. Um, I feel like whenever I've walked into a store, everyone's wearing a mask and people are still kind of conscious about it, even though we're in like phase three or four i don't even know how cuomo's numerical system works he's obvious but <laughs> yeah it is i mean it is this like psycho thing where you would think that the places that you know the right deem these like hotbed for liberal hedonism would just everyone would be you know we've talked about it on the show before and those like full body condoms from the naked gun walking around like that's what new york would look like that's what la would look like and then it's surprising to go out in the world and be like y'all literally don't have a mask on yeah like you you or you have one on under your chin while you're yelling at someone because you think they can't hear you because they have a mask covering their mouth. Like, that's what gets me. I saw, yeah, you know that meme of, like, that waiter with, like, all the stuff on? Uh And, like, I was like, that can't be real. Like, no one would actually eat there. And then we were driving down the street the other day, and, like, there are people just lined up with nothing in between them, masks off, eating on the street. And the waiters are all dressed like that. Like, what is wrong with people that they need to, like, have service so bad? I don't get it. Over like, the, stay home! Over the weekend, um, uh, uh, a comedian friend of ours who was on the show, Atsuko, posted this picture of they opened the Glendale Galleria, which is this big shopping mall out here. Um, they opened the parking structure on the like sub level so not even like the top level it's not open air you're just in a garage (laughs) oh my god with tables so you could go inside to the jimmy john's go inside it's all mall food like go inside to what's in there panda express listen i need a wetzel's pretzels and i need it fucking now and (laughs) And i'm gonna eat it in a garage sit in the garage and she just wrote is this better than home yeah what Like, it's like smorgasbord, but like for, I don't know, like bougie LA. I can't, what is yeah. that? It's, what is I that mean, obsession? I understand being stir crazy, but like, like go to the park and sit fucking 20 feet from people yeah. and like get a mat. Like there are, so, it's like one more ounce of thought and then you're safe. Yeah. But no, let's go to brunch. No. And it really drives me nuts too, because there's such a difference in like, how this virus is impacting communities. It has been shown to like disproportionately impact black and or Latinx communities who do not have access to the same resources a lot of wealthier communities do. And for a number of reasons are just like not able to deal with this as well. And so like the most frustrating thing for me has been like watching, uh, you know, people in Manhattan and like upper Manhattan, like really insist that like brunch is essential or like (laughs) getting drinks to go and then standing outside the gay bar with a group of like 20 other gays, one of whom is maybe wearing a mask. And they're all like, it's fine. We've been self-isolating. And I'm like, what do you call this? What is this? Like, yeah. Wait, did you know any of the Fire Island gays? Oh, my God. No, thankfully. Oh. Um, did you know any of the circuit is... party at the house party with all the, the uh, porn actor gays? Oh, my God. No. <laughs> Although maybe I didn't look closely enough. I'm like, I wiped out that era of my my mind. That's just like a, a black hole now. But oh, oh my God. Um, the Fire Island one was so disappointing, though, because it's like 
I don't know you like I think there is a level of personal accountability that I think we all need to remind ourselves of uh, because of like the the difference in how this virus affects people from dis- different socioeconomic backgrounds. Right. But then at the same time, I like I also hear those people that are like, we should truly be yelling at our government more loudly for like not actually giving us the uh, health resources that we need to get through this faster. Like right. I was watching some New York Times video this morning of like people around the world reacting to how the United States is dealing with COVID. And all these places were like, yeah, our government has paid 75% of our original salary since the virus started in March. And like, uh, you know, we don't, we don't go out to eat, but schools are opening soon and our cases are down to like 2% of the population. I'm like, what? How can we not do this? You're like, like oh, so oh your leadership God. stepped in, took control and worked to solve a problem. Sickening. No? Sickening. No? no? <laughs> yes! Oh my God. Okay, yeah. so let's- You sound so smart. I want to yes. talk about, you went to Brown. You're a oh little my, Ivy ooh, League Brown. <laughs> what was that like? What What is like going to an Ivy League school like? And what are the minorities there like? Yeah. Oh my God. I I really so I grew up in Central Florida in a Oof. in a like Catholic Puerto Rican family. So I was going to take any school that was very very far away and entirely different than florida right so i was like how far north can i go give me a place that is like barren and snowy i went okay so like loki i went to brown because we went to go visit that campus and there was fully a rainbow pride flag on their student center when we went for Uh, like students weekend okay or like on the tour or whatever. And I was like, okay, honey, we're doing this. And You're my like, mom was I like, I will be able to suck a dick here. So. Truly, truly. <laughs> I remember my mom looking at it and, and she's, she was just like, that's interesting. I wonder why they would put that there. And I was like, we're not doing this right <laughs> oh, now. Like no. I'm going here. <laughs> <laughs> so the compromise was, I told my parents, you know, like I, not, neither of my parents finished college. I was like the first person to start a, a bachelor's degree in my family. And so the compromise was like, I will go to this liberal den of hedonism in the Northeast, but I will major in international relations and promise you I'll become a lawyer. Ooh. And that was, I know, right? That was my freshman year, like me trying to cosplay as like a, a, a pre-law international relations student. Then I joined an improv group and I started smoking weed and I fucked a 21-year-old my freshman year and it was just all downhill from there. It's oh, an the older improv. person, I see. A 21-year-old, you're, you're yeah. elder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I was can't... 17 at the time, though. Oh, okay. It was like very scandalous for me. I was like the youngest of, of the at freshmen. At this point in your life, can you even imagine thinking about fucking a 21-year-old person? Absolutely not. No, I mean, I think Meatball can. You like twinks, Meatball. No, I don't like twinks. I don't know why you think that. (laughs) You like actively call your boyfriend a twink. I've never said that. You said oh, it wait, in a yeah, helix last ad. Week you on, said it in on, a helix ad. When we were talking about the mattresses. Also in an ad you said, mattress. I'm scared for his twink body. Yes, because I didn't want him to float on top of the mattress. Okay. okay. I'm glad he stopped listening to this podcast. <laughs> Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, Dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. 
Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. When my fridge is stocked with Factor meals, I'm like, oh, baby, I don't have to think about this. Mm -hmm. Like, it is so nice. The combinations are so good. I am a meat eater, but the vegetable options, there are so many. Like, I remember I had like a, it was like a mushroom with pasta and like a cauliflower rice. And I was like, the mushroom is filling. Like, there's plenty of uh, portion, there's plenty of vegetable, and there's plenty of flavor. And I am usually sort of not a microwave person. Mm -hmm. Very cool that this quality of food can just be heated up in the microwave. And so fast. I also love it because I am a, a very much into ordering delivery. I and know. now having all the food there, I can kind of pick what I want and it's ready in two minutes. I don't have to wait an hour for stuff to get delivered. And these are way healthier options than ordering delivery. Completely. And when they have multiple things in them, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, if I cook for myself, all I'm going to eat is the biggest bowl of pasta you've ever seen in your life. But this oh, is yeah. like, you get a little pasta and the chicken and a vegetable all in one dish. Looking for gourmet meals try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon shrimp truffle butter broccolini and asparagus and factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping cooking or cleaning up all you got to do is heat up and savor the good stuff customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need pause to reschedule deliveries that suit your lifestyle and we're celebrating earth day all month long with factor look out for the earth month eats badge on the menu items for their lowest carbon footprint meals head to factormeals.com slash sloppy seconds 50 and use code sloppy seconds 50 to get 50 percent off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code sloppy seconds 50 at factormeals.com slash sloppy seconds 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. That's a sleigh, baby. Um, okay, so uh, you, you went to Brown, you're doing improv and comedy, you're getting an Ivy League education, you graduate, and you immediately make a a, a, a money move into the porn industry. Pornography. Yeah. Pornography. Also, some of, not just nor like not just like the regular stuff. You went into Treasure Island Media, which is like the hardcore, no condoms back before it was cool. Yeah, right. Oh, Trendsetters. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly before it was cool. I love that. <laughs> so, what exactly? Like, what did you do? Like, how did you get mm -hmm. into that? And like, what did you do when you started working there? Yeah. Okay. So, fun backstory. The original plan was actually to move to Chicago after college. Oh, to, oh. for comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Because I had I'd gone to Second City. I did this like semester long program there. I met the gals, and I was mm. just like, I love this scene. I remember going to Berlin like forever ago. It was just like, it was, I fell in love with like the drag and the comedy scene in Chicago. I thought it was amazing. Yeah. And of course, somebody I was fucking in college moved to New York. So I was like, let me move to New York. Uh... <laughs> so for the first like four months I was in New York, I was like, let me get like a respectable digital media job. I was like interviewing at like Huffington Post and like Gawker and all these places because it was like the social media digital media boom like right. everything was Facebook and Twitter and websites and so I I was like cool that's my money move <laughs> oh my god you just sound like an old person. Facebook, I know. Twitter and, Twitter and websites. 
Come on. This is how I feel on the internet these days. Anyways. What is it? Yeah, it's truly, truly. Remember when news people had websites? Now it's just like no one goes to their websites. They don't don't update their websites. Absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not. So fast forward to like month number four. I'm on my third friend's couch. At this point, I'm just like going through Craigslist ads um, and I'm searching the the job postings with like key terms, right? Like video editing, video experience, because I studied, I basically switched to uh, media studies and, and film and TV production oh, at wow. Brown. Um, so that's kind of where I learned to edit. Not very well, if I'm being entirely honest. Like, no, like, you're oh, a good <laughs> editor. Yes, you did put. Yes, you did. You did put my. You did edit a couple of Dipper's music videos. Just a few. Just a few. But they were great. I loved. I actually. Which ones were? Was it? Um, you did. The money was one of them. You did Bob and Weave, which Bob and Weave was my favorite song I did with Byrell the Great. It was really awesome. And then you sort of like you know anyone out there who works on media projects knows that sometimes for whatever reason. They sort of move hands from one editor to another. Oh, yeah. So Gabe took over and uh, finished Da Money, which features... Shay Coulet! Yes! Sort of yes! In, she's in sort of like half drag, which I love. She's like in a light beat and a cheerleader mm-hmm. uniform, but like no She wig, said, I ain't no getting lashes. into full drag for free. Yeah, exactly. But anyways, okay, so you're searching for editing jobs. On Craigslist. Yes, fully. Like, and I'm there. You I'm see an that ad point. that says, come dumpster. And you're like, well precisely that's exactly how i was i'm eminently qualified here's my resume (laughs) and five references uh no i i so it was actually very vague it was like oddly secretive they're like we're looking for a video editor um to engage in, in sensitive projects looking for professionalism but like also open to experimental like potentially adult content my ass would have been like, clickety, 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 click. Let's see what's going on. Literally me. I was like, I, at the very least, I need to get to the bottom of this. I need to find out what this is, right? <laughs> so I send in my fucking, I send in my resume, which is sparse, to right. put it nicely. It is <laughs> sparse at that point, okay? And they email me back. And they give me an address. And the address at the time, their offices are not there anymore, so I don't mind saying this, but at the time was like, in the mid 80s on the Upper East Side, like in a super bougie neighborhood at the very top of a six floor walk up. Oh. So it's like the end of the summer. I'm going to this interview. I am fully in a button down and a tie with black jeans on. I'm going up the six floor walk up and I knock on what looks like it's, it looks like an apartment, right? Right. It, I, I guess it had been a live workspace, it was an apartment. I knock on a door. Three different locks unlock, <laughs> and the door opens. And in that, like, as the door was opening, I was like, "This is it! Like, this is where I'm. I'm gonna be that. Like, that. So, like, some gay is gonna play me in a reenactment of how I disappeared in a crime story on the Discovery Channel. It won't be Channel. a gay. It'll be Scarlett Johansson. Will yeah! be playing you. <laughs> and I. <laughs> We all, I think every gay person that I know has had that moment where you're waiting outside of a door and you hear some combination of sounds, whether it's locks, whether mm-hmm. it's keys jingling, whether it's going, shut up, wait in the yes! corner, you know, oh, yes! whether it's something, you hear yes. it and you go, is this my moment? Yes. <laughs> I okay, truly so. thought it was. 
And so, you know, this dude in like a black t-shirt and cargo shorts opens the door and I'm like, okay, so I'm overdressed. Cute, great. (laughs) We come in. The first half hour is a super normal interview. They ask me about uh, what editing programs I use. At the moment, Final Cut 7 was like hot and Adobe Premiere was like the new girl in town. And people were like, what's she about? Do you know her? I did not (laughs) at the time. So the first half hour is fully normal, right? There's like one maybe offhanded comment from an employee who's like, I like your butt in those jeans. And I was like, ooh, this is a little sexualized. And as we're sitting there, they're like, okay, so as you may have surmised from the pirate-themed regalia throughout this office, we are Treasure Island Media. Um, They had posted a different name for a production company on Craigslist. Okay. That that I guess, I don't don't know how it worked. Maybe it was something... uh, a side company owned by like the director. I have no idea. Um, but it was treasure Island. They were like, so there's a second part to this interview. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, no, we have three hours of raw footage of two people fucking at the Waldorf Astoria. We're going to give you an hour and a half and see what you can do editing wise. So literally like right after the interview on the spot, they set me up on like a brand new, shiny, beautiful MacBook. And at the time, I did not have a laptop. So I was like, this is so nice. Um, I sat down and I literally just sat there for like two hours with a super awkward boner trying to act very (laughs) professional while not knowing how to edit. Like, I didn't know how to edit people fucking. If you'd give me like a music video, a comedy sketch, an interview, I got you. Like, because it is kind of interesting. We all look at porn, but I don't know how often we look. I mean, like we're looking at porn for a certain reason, and I don't know how often we look at porn and really think about the edits. I I know sometimes edits a lot. I don't like that angle from the bottom (laughs) where it's like the camera up and it's just like the plot. It's like I don't. I don't want to see like saggy balls just bashing back and forth. Also. I, too much kissing up top. Why? No, I that? love the kissing. Another, See, but this is thing, the problem. Another thing. Why plot? Why have a plot? <laughs> well, I don't think Treasure Island Media has plots. No, there no. wasn't a lot of plot. No, that was they, a plot no. driven. But we had they this, did it right. They started yeah. most of their scenes just started with the fucking happening. But this is what the whole deal with the editing is like. Everyone likes something different, so you kind of have to include everything in the video in order to sell it. That's the that's the fucking problem. But who's out here being like, give me that low angle? Some you people. would be shocked. You'd be <laughs> shocked. We had handwritten letters, handwritten letters sent into Treasure Island Media, reviewing our DVDs in full from first scene to the twelfth scene. It was wild. It was so funny, and it is true. Treasure Island did not. We didn't have storylines. We had what I like to call strong mise en scène. We had a very. <laughs> A very strong vibe established by the place we were shooting, which was usually a hotel we were sneaking into, which is the gag. That yeah. was so funny. Yeah. How did you do that? Because one time I shot like a little thing in a hotel, not porn. It was like a mm-hmm. commercial thing. And they were like knocking on the door because there was more than four people in the room. And in those scenes, there's like 20 people in a room. Yeah. How do y'all sneak past them? <laughs> yeah. So it was funny. We had like a little routine, right? So my boss, the director, would go in, reserve the hotel room, and then he would go up, make sure it was okay, come back down, get multiple keys, get like, he'd go up and be like, oh, I just need an extra in case I lose it. And then we would go up in shifts. So like our, um, we there would be like usually three people on set, two cameras and one PA. And so our PA would go up first, set everything up 
come back down. Then I would go up with one camera over my shoulder and like a light, uh, a light kit <laughs> trying to be very discreet about it, but like you can't be. Oh and then God. the other PA would go up with like the second camera. And I think it, it had something to do with the fact that like, if you're doing commercial projects at hotels, they'll probably do that. They'll harass you. They're knock on your door. Yeah. Some hotels require you to pay a fee. Yeah. Now. <clears throat> it was a very like uh, confusing kind of like tenue legally tenuous scenario. But at the same time, I think it was just like my my boss was like, we don't want anyone knowing what we're doing up there anyway. Like, yeah, because there are so many gays working at hotels. That's the thing. Like porn stars would come in to do scenes and like you would clock the guy behind the desk recognizing. Them wow. And being like, Where are they going? Where okay. are they going? Here's my question. Did you have a meeting with Dawson? No, <laughs> I never got to meet him. And, and what? So like, this was the wild thing. So part of the reason that I was like into Treasure Island is because I actually read an essay by the man I ended up working with about like Dawson's 50 load weekend. And I was like, right. LOL. A classic. Right. Like, LOL, an essay about this movie. haha. <laughs> and I read it and there was actually like, there was some interesting content in there, right? Kind of talking about the ethos of Treasure Island and how it came about as a kind of a response to this like quote unquote clean look that, that needed to pervade porn in the nineties, right? Yeah. This like hairless fit tan bodies that, that looked very healthy and virile and all kind of fit this like cookie cutter format. Right. And so Treasure Island Media was started by an HIV positive man who was very much into kink and anonymous scenarios. And he's like, I, don't want bodies that look like mine to be shamed in porn. I don't want kinks mm -hmm. that resemble mine to be shamed in porn. Right. I want to make porn that looks like what I like doing. And so that kind of like seed of an idea. Wow. That seemed really interesting to me. And so like, I actually like included treasure Island in like my resumes and cover letters after leaving there. And I was like, it was actually a really interesting time where I learned a lot about video editing and I kind of got to like, you know, put that, that Brown university vernacular to use. I right. was like, I got to interrogate depictions of queer sexuality in a, a you know, like post nineties era regarding bareback sex, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Can we see some of your work? Yes. <laughs> Here's so, my reel. Yeah. Did your, did your family know that this was the job you were doing? Oh wow! Okay, so this is <laughs> this is this is pretty wild. Okay, so uh, it's, a lot of things were happening at once. I had graduated college, and I did not go back to see my parents before moving to New York. I had not actually come out to my mom. My mom, oh. I, I didn't was not talking to my dad at the time. I was talking to my mom, and I hadn't come out to her yet. But like she knew. It's like you know what I mean. Like it's yeah. Mom's always fucking. Mom's know, always right? fucking know. Always fucking no. She read my text. She saw the search history. We There were no secrets. She's a cool mom. She's a cool mom. So I had not come out to her yet. At the time, my parents were actually going through a, a really contentious divorce. My dad was, is perhaps still a, a very verbally and physically abusive asshole. And so it's mm. like, we were kind of dealing with that. And my dad was trying to get custody of my sister, who was 17 and in high school at the time. So, like, uh, he was trying to get her to move to Texas with him. It was absolutely ridiculous. Um, and so I had to come out to my mom as a porn editor because <laughs> my father's lawyer found an interview I had done on, like, season two of Amy Schumer 
thinking yes, no one in my family that. will ever see this, right? Yeah, I was like, yeah. no one in my family will ever see this. She had these segments called Amy Goes Deep, where she would interview yeah. people in different industries, and she wanted to find a porn producer. And I was like, well, I'm a porn editor, but I've also designed the DVDs. I've made a few DVD covers. I've written the scene descriptions. I have shot some of the scenes. I've lit some of the scenes. So whatever you want to call me, I do work in porn right. and have done a little bit of everything. So we did that, and my father's lawyer tried to bring that in as evidence to the court. Damn. That you were employed? Right. Literally, like, employed in a legal industry and getting praise for it on television. (laughs) Yeah, on television. And so it was wild. So, like, my... So the, the fucking crazy thing is my mom's lawyer was a woman that was working for her pro bono because my mom was unemployed at the time and, like, trying to move back to Puerto Rico. And so I literally... This was the one time I, like, really made use of those rich friends from Brown. And I was like, do you know a lawyer in Florida that will work pro bono on this first custody case? And, like, honey, those, like, Hamptons kids came through. It was wild. Really? It was truly wild. That That's one time. Wild. It was really wild. So, like, having those, those like, connected friends was definitely helpful. And I don't know how we would have gone through that. But the funny thing is, the lawyer called me first. And she was like, hey, so, like, this obviously isn't being admitted as evidence because it's kind of irrelevant. But your mom's probably going to hear about it. So you might want to talk to her about it. But also, you looked very charming on Amy Schumer. <laughs> <laughs> She was like, I like a lawyer that'll yes. go deep, you know. Yes. That's a good lawyer. So, what are your thoughts on um, obviously, like, since you've left uh, the porn industry, there's been like a lot of advancement with like self-producing OnlyFans, just for fans. Like, everyone is sort of like doing it their own way, figuring out and their I own have business complaints. model. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are your complaints, yeah. people? I don't pay ten dollars a month for a three-minute video once a week. And it's not even full nudity? Excuse me, unfollow. Okay. What do you think about OnlyFans and Just for Fans? Oh, okay. So, well, now I'm thinking about your complaints. Those are valid, right? But I, so I think it's, I think it's incredible. I think it's incredible. And I love what it has done for uh, people who have been working in porn for a long time. Because I'll be honest, like, some of the shit I saw, the way people were treated in the porn industry overall um, yeah. was pretty terrible, right? Like, like, can you, we had someone sort of give us this information, but like, say someone was just getting started. They didn't really have a name for themselves mm-hmm. and they were going to film like their first video and it was going to be like them bottoming, taking a load raw. Mm-hmm. How much money would they be offered? I think it depends on the studio, but it would be anywhere from like, Based, because I also talked to some other kids who were working at other studios in New York and on the East Coast. Yeah, and depending on the studio, it'd probably be like anywhere from six hundred to maybe a thousand, eleven hundred dollars. Oh, oh so that's that was better much than more we than heard. They get offered now. Yeah. Well, now, but like, now it's like three hundred bucks. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, I also entered the porn industry at a time when the streaming sites, like the earlier iterations of Pornhub and like Macho Mo, were really ripping these videos like hours after they came out mm, and kind of sucking them. money i know right so like in a way we've democratized access to these scenes but <laughs> but <laughs> but then you have these studios that are like we're not making any money we're gonna try to lowball talent so like there are some people that i saw take 250 300 for like a blowjob scene and then also sign a contract saying that that studio could use your image in perpetuity to advertise that scene however way they saw fit 
I saw porn stars have to sue porn studios for using their face on a dildo that was supposedly shaped like their dick, that it was not, but because of a contract they signed they didn't know a lot about, it was legal, right? So in my experience, I didn't see a lot of like unionizing efforts or good faith efforts to, to provide management to these talents. And when porn stars did try to get together, I saw a couple of like, quote unquote retired porn stars like men reaching their mid-30s who were like i guess i'm old by these standards so like let me start helping other people you would start seeing kind of like like porn stars that were doing less uh performing band together with other performers and try to create their sort of own model or management uh agency kind of uh talent management agency but then I would also see like other studio people or people I worked with be like, oh, well, do we want to work with this? That's going to be difficult. Like essentially right. kind of blacklisting uh... people for unionizing or trying to get a third party in to help them negotiate rates and contracts. Right. Right. So this is why I think you saw a lot of studios trying to get an exclusive deal with like hot newcomers. They sent a contract for a year and then it's like, OK, well, you're ours for a year, according to these standards and this is what we're gonna pay you yeah i remember um when because okay so gabe we met i think we met out in new york at westgate was the first time we ever met and who was also there that night who was there many nights was boomer banks before he started uh performing he would go go there all the time and i remember talking to him and he was like i think i'm gonna start making videos i don't know i'm sort of courting some ideas and Mm -hmm. then when he started he signed an exclusive exclusive for a year with someone i don't know raging stallion or falcon or like whatever but that was so interesting i was like oh you really like figured out how to like actually make a little bit of money in this industry where it felt like everyone was doing everything for a couple hundred bucks yeah totally i mean i think you know i don't think there were in uh it was all downsides to signing those contracts i think if people weren't sure they could make a solid amount of money doing porn that was maybe uh the best option for them but i like I remember I shot this scene. So like Treasure Island had their website divided into sections. It was mm-hmm. Tim Jack for jerk off and then Tim suck for blowjobs and Tim fuck for fucking. So oh, some real yeah. creativity going on there. Right. So I remember, <laughs> you know, the jerk off scenes were like, whenever there was a new editor, it would be like, you know, this, this is the easiest thing for you to kind of like get your feet wet editing. And I remember I did this thing where I went to this, I had hooked up with this dude like months before he had actually applied to Treasure Island, not knowing I worked there. And I was like, Hey, can we just like shoot in your house? Like, we'll just like kind of fucking dick around and we'll shoot in your house. And I remember I shot him just kind of like, he kind of, we spoke, we interviewed a little bit. We talked about his sexual preferences and like people he had hooked up with. And then I just kind of filmed him jerking off on his couch, but I used, um, some of that audio of him talking about like the things that turned him on and the last Very time he fucked, right? Oh. Over this footage of him like starting to get hard and take off his clothes. And my boss was like, fuck this. This looks like some homemade shit. This is so experimental. This isn't a fucking film festival. Like absolutely trashed it. And now people are shooting in their homes in this kind of like janky handheld experimental mm-hmm. style, especially on OnlyFans. Shot and on I iPhone. Think Honey, I'm saying. Lady Gaga on the game. Shot on iPhone. Truly. Most of Um, them are shooting on their phone. Literally. I love it, though. (laughs) When the phone drops down on top of the lens. I have had some friends ask me how to deal with that. They were like, you know, I saw a scene you shot where, like, the cum fell on the lens. Like, how did you avoid it getting on the lens? And I was like, 
I didn't. I had to clean it afterward. Like, oh I don't my know what God. to tell you. Um, but what I do, the I think the main thing I love about OnlyFans is that people are putting in the work for themselves, seeing more of the profits of that labor going just to them. Um, and I think they're doing it on their own terms. You know what I mean? They don't have to deal with like a potentially skeevy company trying to use their image however they want for the rest right. of their life. Like, yeah. it's on their own terms and... You know, I've seen some complaints about OnlyFans paying people in a timely fashion, which is hopefully something they have fixed uh, by now. But I, you know, like, I know porn directors and companies probably hate it, but I fucking, I love it. I think OnlyFans is great. And I'm seeing a lot more people get naked and come that I would never have seen set foot in a porn studio. Exactly. That's amazing. I like that now you can just find anybody on there. You literally yeah. just type in anything. Well, especially now in the pandemic, you can find anybody on there. You know who just got an OnlyFans? Shea Coulee. Shea Coulee! <laughs> Wait, really? She's doing non-sexual stuff. She's doing like drag stuff. I won't be tuning in. <laughs> okay. So I love you, Shay, but I will. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Ooh, break! That one was pretty Okay. We're back. Do you know Wicked? Yes. Yes. How many times have you seen Wicked? Because you're a New York gay. Okay, so I Wicked opened while I was still living in Florida, and my family took a trip to New York right after it opened, and we each got to pick a, a Broadway thing we would go see. So my brother picked the Blue Man Group. My sister Ugh. was like, I want to see the Rockettes. And I was like, I am Ugh. seeing Wicked. <laughs> we will be seeing it with the original cast. I need to see Idina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth in the flesh. My You're gay the ass. only one with taste. <laughs> Truly. I was the only gay one. But How I did you fully... pitch this? How did you pitch I... this to them? I don't know how I got away with it. I truly, truly don't. Honestly, I really don't, yeah. she probably knew you were gay, but also, like, you were the only one that picked, like, a big spectacle with the storyline. Like, I don't want to go see Blue Man Group. They're just drumming on drums with paint. Living it's in not Greenpoint, that hard. I could do that in yeah. the backyard. Where I've literally seen it. Around the corner any day, yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Um. Right. Wait, so... so oh. Yeah, I was going to talk about Scruff. Mm-hmm. So Scruff. you, okay, so obviously, <laughs> sorry, Meepo, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, it's fine. I'm done now. Can you sing it, please? <laughs> no, I did it. Okay. Well, um, we'll see that it's here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay, so you've had this career as like, I mean, we were joking in the beginning about journalists, but like, you're like an internet personality, like a commentator. You're obviously, you're a writer. You, a comedian. But is it, I don't know, like to me, is it journalism? Is it commentary? Is it editorial? Com- you know, like, what is it? And that has also led you to hosting a lot of videos. You've like, you have videos on Mike.com, uh, Flama, which is no longer, but the content is still up, correct? Yeah, somewhere. I don't. Yeah. yeah. It's on YouTube. You can find <laughs> yeah. it really easily. But like you've hosted a lot of things. And so now you're hosting for Scruff. So I'm really curious about like, I guess that's all related to like being a, a working in digital media. Yeah, I think. Yeah, because it's digital media has gone through like a lot of weird transformations and iterations. And I think when I left 
porn, I wanted to work as a video producer in news, right? So one of my oh, first okay. gigs I got was Flama. And it was because of another comedian named Joanna Hausman, who's also a Latina, who I met at Second City in Chicago. Mm. And at the time, Say Latina, Latina again. Latina. <laughs> okay. Sick me, <laughs> I love Alexis so much. I She's, just oh, we're gonna get to it. She's we're the gonna Puerto get Rican to it. diva. She is the Puerto Rican. I, I could talk about her Walter impression for hours. We'll get to it. We will yeah. get to it. But um, okay, back on topic. So <laughs> I wanted a job I could like talk to my family about and also make a little more money in because you know two and a half years editing and producing porn was just like my salary could not go much higher and I couldn't right. really. There wasn't a lot of mobility there. And I also had this experience in, you know, like politics and video production. Um, I had done some documentary work in in college and I was that was what I was interested in. So I joined Flama and originally I was kind of like a politics and culture writer. Um, you know, I would do write-ups on people like Walter Mercado. I remember when Bianca Del Rio went drag race, they were like, a Latina, write about it. Uh, but I also, <laughs> so literally, it was just like, hot Cheetos, Bianca Del Rio, chanclas, let's do it. Like, it was. <laughs> That's the elevator pitch. That's probably how they got funding for their website. Honestly, <laughs> all the executives were white folks, so that's all you needed, wow. really. <laughs> um, I mean, there were a lot of great, amazing Latinos employed there, but there were, you know, it's like, it's as per usual. A lot of people right. pulling the strings were, were like just non-Latino white folks. Um, so I worked there, but at... At that moment, the like hot thing were like these talking head style YouTube Facebook videos. Very Tommy mm. Lauren of you. Um, oh my god! Actually, <laughs> actually, I started before Tommy Lauren. Tommy Lauren was still in college, acting like climate change was real when I started Whoa. doing YouTube videos. Whoa! Trigger. Wait, really? Wait, you can actually look this up. Tommy Lauren was like an aspiring journalist, quote unquote. I use big air quotes there right. in college. And she would host debates uh, on this like college news network where she would talk about issues in a non like psychotic, hyper right wing partisan way. Like she was really trying to be a journalist and she would bring up evidence about climate change and people would be debating for and against. And she'd be like, this is the evidence. This is real. What do you think? And what do you think? It's so it's I mean, it's the same way fucking Milo Yiannopoulos was like trying to be an actor and then failed and then pivoted to being a crazy yeah. right wing oh, yeah. talking oh. head. It's like all these people you can chart it. It's so wild. It's like all it's these about people attention. Kind of, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They want attention at all costs and they couldn't get famous doing the first thing they tried and they found a niche they could kind of dominate among uh, very bigoted, hateful people. And wow, if that's drag how they want to make money. I mean, I, I started doing drag. I didn't get the job that I wanted. So I just... That actually is how you started doing drag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, it wasn't and a job. Ev- and every possible option or every possible moment that we can talk about you not doing drag but continuing to entertain, you want to take it. Yes. Oh, anytime <laughs> I don't have to get into makeup. Wait, meanwhile, but, what was the alt career? What was like the I was a, I did stand up comedy and acting. Failed. 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 I wasn't actually bad at stand up. I just like uh, something happened. You just I, preferred like, to sit down. True. I'm too fat. <laughs> I just got started getting severe anxiety when I was like on stage performing, so I just couldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Like 
literally would just stop talking. Like I couldn't speak. So I had mm-hmm. to stop doing it. Um, I have another question because you are a journalist and we were talking about crazy right wing people. I'm trying to find a non-biased news source because I love CNN, but I do feel like sometimes it's, you know, it's a little biased. And I started watching Al Jazeera videos, but those aren't good either. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any suggestions? Yeah, where do you get your news from? Where do you get news from? And how can, can you tell people how to like vet their sources? Oh my gosh. It's, I, it's so difficult. I, you know, like I, even while I was working in a newsroom, it was tough because you'd always want to like follow up with sources. Uh, so like I would have to call people and like track them down via phone and email to confirm something independently on our own. Um, I honestly, I've really been appreciating NPR um, mm. lately. Uh, I think uh, their morning edition show and their all things considered show in the evening, especially with fellow faggot Ari Shapiro is uh, really great. I'm partial to Amy Goodwin on democracy now as well, but like, I know that's not necessarily everyone's (laughs) (laughs) like a picture of fully nonpartisan, but I, you know, I think they present really, really great context. Um, I don't know. I've started following a lot of um, local reporters as well. Uh, I think the best thing about the absolute garbage fire that is Twitter is that I can find independent or freelance journalists. Um, So I really started following journalists who are working at Gothamist uh, right now, which is a local uh, New York City oriented uh, news publication that almost went under and then was bought by NPR and kept afloat, which is really oh, great. Oh, interesting. So I would really, really encourage people to kind of find good local reporting if that's possible. Cause I know that, you know, a lot of local reporting is losing funding is sort of shutting down. And in a lot of places, like all you're left with is some like Sinclair media owned TV news thing. That's just spitting out propaganda, which is right. When they, trash. when they do the video edits of all the local news that are reading the exact same copy and it's like a hundred oh, yeah. different news stations. Yeah. Cause they're that's all owned creepy. by the same crazy company. Speaking of huge conglomerate, let's talk about scruff and hosting. Yeah. Their- <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> let's talk about booty holes on scruff. <laughs> So you host what it's a game show? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the first uh thing I started doing with Scruff was this game show called Hosting. And it's essentially it's kind of, you know, modeled in that kind of format that HQ popularized. There are ten questions. If you make it to the end, you win money. Wait, what um, do you not know what HQ is? It was like a big old app that everyone was playing every day, and it would ask you a certain amount of questions. And oh, and depending money. on how many people had logged in, the prize money yeah. would sort of... Okay. The, I think I, think I it was always the same money. Oh. I, you know what? Maybe I didn't understand it either. I just know that everyone <laughs> logged on at the same goddamn time and was like, hold on, let me do my HQ. And I was like, we're eating. What is yeah, that? Right? Talk to me. <laughs> I okay. won 17 cents. Yeah. Okay, got it. Um, so, you know, that format had been a while, but there was like this like boom with HQ and um, it was a format that I think worked really well for scruff uh because we could keep it in app but we could also kind of imbue it with whatever kind of voice and information we wanted to uh so at the inception of the show i was actually working really closely with uh derek smith i don't know if you ever met him while you were in new york dipper he's kind of a nightlife performer we met in the brooklyn night nightlife scene and he was sort of started producing the show and he was like we're doing a quiz show we want it to be all about 
LGBTQ plus history and pop culture. All the questions are somehow rooted in a piece of information that pertains to our community and hopefully teaches you about something you haven't heard about yet, right? Because I think mm. a lot of the conversations we had in development were that queer people often learn about our history much later in life. Right. Uh, when we're in college or after college, uh, mostly because of bigotry, but also because a lot of our, I don't know, a, a, a lot of our sort of tentpole historic moments uh, have been passed on through oral history, right? Yeah. Like you look oral at Stonewall. History. I, oral history. Wow, you said it. You said it. You talking about scruff. Yeah, yeah, so I, I've had a lot of fun doing it because I've learned a lot, but um, I've also gotten really, really great feedback from people about uh, pieces of information or history they haven't learned about, like the Compton's Cafeteria Riot right. uh, we talked about. That was like three years before Stonewall. People didn't know about that. Uh, we talked about Stormy DeLavier, who was a black butch lesbian who was at Stonewall the night uh, that the riots happened and right. is credited with being the first person to like punch a police officer that was attacking her and yeah. then turned to the crowd and said, why don't you do something? And apparently that's when everybody got kind of riled up, right? And uh, and again, we're, you know, I, I've watched interviews that Sage has done with Stormy and um, I've read some books about firsthand accounts with people and obviously... You know, when you're just kind of gathering accounts from witnesses, you get these differing things. It's like, did right. Marsha throw a shot glass or a brick? Did Marsha throw the brick before Stormy punched somebody? It's like the fine details we can debate, right. but yeah. at the end of the day, we can all say that black femmes and gender nonconforming people and lesbians and women were at the center of what happened that night, right? Yeah. And so nobody kind of like, died at Stonewall. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> And in that film they made uh, where the white boy from the suburbs showed up, that film was just like an ad for gentrification, right? Oh, my God. What's his name? Was it Ryan Murphy? Who was it? Wasn't it like... uh... Was it Ryan Murphy? No. No, It wasn't Ryan Murphy. It was this twink whose body should be obliterated in his sleep. It's literally like someone from the Midwest showed up to New York, decided they were gay, and then started a revolution. That's the way the Stonewall film was. And it was directed by Roland Emmerich, who is a German director and was like, wouldn't it be funny if Stonewall was just started by a Midwestern twink instead of black women? Right. Who cares about history? They have a history of just choosing their own destiny there. Yeah. Um, Oh, Lord. Wait. All right. So, so... Just so everyone can find it, how often do you host the show? Yeah, so right now the show uh, the show used to happen twice a month, and right now it happens every Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Cool. Um, and it actually airs in Canada and in the UK as well, which is why we do it at 4. Um, so hopefully, like, West Coast, mm. East Coast, and folks in the UK can see it. Um, and it's been fun, you know what I mean? It's always, it's a little saucy, it's a little horny. I gotta, you know, we gotta keep it fun and cute and sexy for the gals. Uh, and that's Ooh. also, like, just kind of my sense of humor. It's just, like, pivoting violently from, like, horny to political and then back to horny. <laughs> yeah. So I found the right brand. That, that tracks. That, that tracks, tracks, right? Yeah. <laughs> nope. <laughs> okay, now let's talk about Drag Race because you must absolutely adore the one Miss Alexis Mateo. I have loved Alexis for so, so long. For so yeah. long. Since season 
three season three is when she was on right yeah yeah Yeah. i've just like i've been so obsessed so like there used to be this tradition where there was kind of like a puerto rican queen on every season of drag yeah really really long time and that was one of the biggest things that drew me to that show even though they would constantly mock their accents in the earlier seasons and make their lives impossible which also pissed me off i loved it and alexis was just like I don't know. Alexis was great. And I also felt so connected to her because she was living, she was Puerto Rican, but she was living in Tampa, Florida, which is where Mm. my grandmother lived, which is where I was raised after I was born. And I always saw it as this like absolute shithole that was just devoid of any culture or like queer Latino content or people that I could find. And here was fucking Alexis Mateo, who was like, I live in Tampa. I'm a sickening drag queen. I have drag kids. I'm going to win. And I thought she was. (laughs) I really thought she was. She was so great. That season three was just like such an incredible showing of hers. Yeah. Willem on Race Chaser, Willem did talk about on season four, like Kenya. Mm -hmm. Kenya Michaels like really didn't have as much of a grasp of English. And like when the cameras would go down, the queens would literally be like, do you know what we have to do for the chat? Like she would, just, she just sort of like didn't grasp a lot of it, and they like didn't help her through it. Production, yeah, which that's really rude nice. as hell. But yeah. I mean, it's also a competition. You're trying to get rid of your competition, so. Well, the other queens helped her. Yeah, there was also this like thing where um, I, was it Kenya Michaels who had a an issue with Madame Laqueer? What yes. season was that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Kenya was like, Madame Laqueer is a big, ugly mess, and I don't want her <laughs> representing Queens from Puerto Rico. Yes. Puerto yeah. Rico. Meanwhile, like, Kenya is we don't like, like her there. The, the most, like, she looks like an actual baby doll. Yes. Like, the, like just petite, beautiful woman. And she's like, Laqueer looks like a beast. Like, so shady. So shady. And apparently, so, like, I don't know a lot about Puerto Rico's drag scene. I've seen, like, maybe, like, two drag shows there. But apparently the thing is that, like, the whole drag community in Puerto Rico kind of, like, gets behind the person they're sending to Drag Race. Right. And so the quote-unquote chosen one that year was supposed to be Kenya Michaels. And Madame Laqueer, like, applied anyway and got it. And so there was kind of this, like, built-in rivalry before they both got there. Oh. So I just, I thought that was so juicy. I fucking loved that. That's good amazing. good producers over there. I know, right? Well, listen, we obviously could keep talking forever and ever, but we've reached the end of the show. And before we go, Meatball has supplied us with a little um, fuck talk. So, you, a fuck are, talk voicemail. Because this question, I think, is, I think it's good for our guest. Oh, I see. I see. Here's the thing. I never took that acid and I never put that Molly up my butt. So Really? No, yeah. The acid is just sitting in my freezer. I asked people, I said, what's going to happen if I take a little bit of this acid and just try to hang out at home? And they were like, don't do it. Go out in nature. Don't do that. Like, you're going to be up for 24 hours. And I was like, seems like it's not a good time. Well... Okay, so that's part- actually how I would describe my time at Brown now that we're getting <laughs> <laughs> Okay, here is a voicemail we received. Okay. Hi, Big Dipper and Meatball. My name's Oscar from San Francisco. Okay, here's my fuck talk. So uh, about five, six years ago, I met uh, my soon-to-be, eventually-to-be ex-boyfriend. Um, <laughs> we, before we started dating, we were actually roommates. And we did start hooking up. And But uh, when we started hooking up, I learned that he had a particular condition called phimosis, meaning that he had so much foreskin that uh, it was also, how do I say it, 
It was also tight around the end, so he couldn't pull the skin back. And never in his life, and he was in his mid-20s, never in his life had he ever pulled his foreskin fully back. So I, he was really hot. He was really, really hot. I really wanted to play with him. So we did, and we always used condoms because I just I didn't really want to deal with it in person. But over uh, after about a year of this, I successfully peer pressured him into getting a circumcision. And uh, remember that we're still roommates, so he got he got circumcised. I know it's a shame, but he needed to get it done. And we and I was there while he was healing. And long story short, we uh, we should have waited a lot lot a lot longer to fuck again. But uh, about a month or about six weeks after we got the surgery, we did start to get frisky again. And he was topping me. Uh, I was on all fours, with doggy oh, no. style. He had a condom on so that we could still sort of keep things sanitary and safe. And everything was feeling pretty good. We were really getting into it. Mm. And then we stopped halfway through. And he says, you know, think, uh, something feels wrong. Something feels a little weird. And I was like, okay, does it hurt? And he goes, no, no, it doesn't hurt. And uh, And he looks down and he starts pull out a little, and he realizes that he still had a few stitches left that hadn't naturally gone out, and uh, having sex pulled them out, so then he was just bleeding into the condom, so he grabbed the base of his dick, holding the condom, and proceeded to pull out a fucking water balloon, like, condom filled with blood out of my ass, and miraculously, like, there wasn't a mess or anything, but we, and we ended up like flushing it. But yeah, that's the story about the time that uh, a guy pulled a water balloon condom filled with blood out of my ass. Okay. All right. Love you guys. Have a great yeah. day. I have a lot of questions about this one. Tell us. One, didn't it seem like the guy would have been fine without getting the surgery to begin with? Like if he didn't care? Yes. When he said I peer pressured him into getting a circumcision. But I knew someone who had this condition and he was like very embarrassed about it and didn't do any. He didn't. He waited until he was like 25 to get a circumcision because the skin literally cannot be pulled back. Like it's too tight. So it's like unsafe. Oh, like it can get very dirty. Is it dirty in there? I don't know. I mean, that's. I think that's why they smegma. said I put a condom because I didn't want to deal with it. But like, smegma. not I'm smegma. sure people. I'm sure people live with this and clean it out constantly. Yeah, a little Q-tip. Yeah, that yeah. is crazy. Why would you peer pressure someone into getting the surgery and then fuck them early when they're not healed yet? I'm sorry, Oscar. You sound like a trash person. <laughs> Thanks this is for listening, but toxic, that is some bullshit. Yeah, yeah exactly. That was a toxic relationship from the get. Do not fuck your roommates. Do not peer pressure your roommates into getting circumcisions. And then do not date them. Meepal is smiling like Oscar is your friend. No, I don't. No, I just think it's funny. Like <laughs> You're smiling so like you crazy. know this person. No, I don't know this person. I just them. got this from our thing. But it was just like, it was so crazy when I listened to it. Because I was like, wait a minute. Just the beginning of this is a mess. Yeah. All right. I just, well, yeah. Ugh. Well, I shout just, out to your yeah. safe sex. You know, at least you yeah. Have I mean, an you have wearing full a condom. <laughs> you, did you ever film any blood play uh, <laughs> films? I was going to say not, films. not even at Treasure Island. Have Wait. you gotten a condom full of blood? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. What is not even what is on an episode of Hannibal? 
<laughs> what do you, what is your most favorite uh, famous scene that people probably know? Oh, oh my, oh my gosh. Okay, interesting. We all used actually pseudonyms um, at the office. Oh. And I will never reveal mine. That will be my greatest mystery. I love that. But... That's like BB and the lipstick. Yes. <laughs> oh, so that was it. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. It was BB and the lipstick was actually my name. Um, no, uh, I, so there was one scene I edited. This was major for like my boss because he was a big, big brother fan. But we got this guy named Steven Daigle who used to be on Big Brother to mm. come do a bunch of scenes. And I edited them and I had no idea who this guy was. I've never seen an episode of Big Brother in my life. So he comes on set and like everyone's treating him like royalty. And I'm like, who's this newbie? Like, who is this fresh faced twink from Texas coming to do scenes with us? <laughs> and I remember I was, yeah, I, I guess that was like the biggest celebrity. I, I also edited scenes from a surprising amount of porn stars that I thought would be really, really nice and sweet and ended up being like absolute trash or like fully racist. Like, I remember I was oh, no. so excited to meet Antonio Biagi because he was Puerto Rican and I was like, this this whole scene is so racist. Like, I spoke Spanish once on set, and, like, somebody made some comment about how I'm, like, Mexican. It was just, like, all this Whoa. fucked up shit. Oh, wow. And so I was really psyched to meet Antonio Biagi. He was really sweet on set. And then I go online, and he had just, like, posted really unsavory things. And then I think a few months ago, people, like, really found some, like, fucked up racist shit from him. Which yes. is such a shame, too, because, like... I don't know. He's a brown Puerto Rican man who's gay and working in an industry where people are like treated like shit. And so you would think that there would be this level of compassion or solidarity there with black communities. And there is yeah. not. That's so. I know really I know we have to go, but just a thought for everyone listening as we leave. Do you think that there's something to like working in an industry that feels so stigmatized and unjustly so because so many people consume pornography, but also mm-hmm. in like polite society look down upon it that mm-hmm. folks who not only work or perform in that industry sort of have like a no fucks given attitude because they like um because they feel like there's a lot of the world sort of like coming at them. And so mm-hmm. the ones who are racist are like, I'm just going to let that shit fly because right. girl, I'm putting my mm-hmm. butthole all over the internet. I think that's fascinating. I don't yeah. Know. Well, there's that. And then it's, it's, it's also hard to tackle issues in an industry that most people don't want to talk about or admit exists. Right. It's yeah. generating billions of dollars, but it's always hush hush kind of, you know, we can't talk about sex and porn openly And so I feel like these industries, it's why we're seeing, you know, sex workers and porn stars start just now, like start making headway in terms of like breaking the stigma and also tackling the kind of like racist people that are taking advantage of the fact that these industries are, I guess, less visible, um, but also like working to make sure that they have rights and uh, are, you know, represented and remunerated fairly in their industry as well. Come on, brown words. Yes. Ivy League education. Yeah. I'm <laughs> still paying that shit off. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, oh my God. if you want to support yeah. Gabe, where can people find you uh, on the internet? Sure, absolutely. Um, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram using the handle Gaybones, G-A-Y-B-O-N-E-Z. Um, you can also catch my upcoming projects on MTV. I'm writing for this next season of Decoded with Francesca Ramsey. Amazing. Um, I'm going to co-host an upcoming episode again. I've been working with them for a few seasons and every Sunday on Scruff playing hosting at 4 p.m. Eastern time. 
Decoded is like the perfect show for you to work on. Wow. Yeah, it's so much. It is the perfect balance between like political wonkiness and education and then also comedy and the host francesca ramsey if y'all do not know her please get to know her she's like truly an incredible force and one of one of the few people in my opinion that like really utilized that like youtube facebook talking head format in a way that uh provided longevity to the format that she was using and provided adaptability to the format. And it's just like, it, it's on its eighth season right now. And I think there's, Gag. I know That's it's like incredible for sure. So she's just an absolute champion and a powerhouse. And I want to see her hosting a late night show one day. Truly, truly. Oh my God. Yeah. Come on. Digital media studies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's so good to see you. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks for having me y'all. No, thank you so much for coming. And thanks to everyone for listening to Sloppy Seconds. You can follow us on Instagram at Sloppy Pod. Send us an email at sloppysecondspod at gmail.com or call with your fuck talk story. But please don't be like Oscar. And you can call at 213-536-9180 or 1-800-WICKED. Uh, you can find Big Dipper on Instagram at Big Dipper Jelly and me at Spiciest Meatball. And you can find me on Twitter at Fat Drag Meatball. Don't forget to subscribe, please. That's it. it. We're done. Doodle doot doot. Forever dog. Sloppy Seconds is a forever dog podcast. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Mixed and mastered by Will Pitts. Our cover art was drawn by Christian Cimarroni. And our theme song was written by Mike Malarkey.